1: them.
2: Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Myra Coleman is the illustrator and author of Darling Baby. Myra is an illustrator, author, and designer who has created many beautiful books, including Fireboat, The Heroic Adventures of John H. Harvey, Bold and Brave, Ten Heroes Who Won Women the Right to Vote by Kirsten Dillenbrand, who, by the way, I also had on this podcast if you want to go back and listen to that, 13 Words by Lemony Snicket, and Daniel Handler's Why We Broke Up. She has been called genius, magic, and inspiring, but her grandchildren call her appy. Welcome, Myra. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to read books to discuss Darling Baby and all your other work. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
2: Well, congratulations. I understand this book is inspired by your, your new grandchild. Yes. At this point,
0: she's not that new. There's a second one, but it, she, but it was definitely inspired when she was born and I entered into the whole world of uh, being a grandmother. And what is that like? that's sublime you know of course the cliche is all of the love without any other responsibility so it's an extraordinarily clear and pure with human complications of life but it's a it's a it's an incredible gift and it makes your heart sing
2: oh it's amazing my mother started talking about being a grandmother when i was like 18 so <laughs> I'm like, give me a little time, please. I won't ask you how long she had to wait. <laughs> she had to wait. I had kids when I was 30, so not too long. Oh, okay. yeah. not, that, yeah. not too bad. <laughs> yes. So your career has been amazing. I mean, just looking at, like, I think the kids and I have read almost every book of yours. I interviewed Kristen Jellenbrand about Bold and Brave, which you illustrated, What Pete Ate A to Z, The Thomas Jefferson, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Everything, which by the way, was also on the kids' reading list, as was Looking at Lincoln. I mean, all these books, Max Makes a Million, Swami on Rye, Next Stop Grand Central. I mean, it's amazing. And those are just the kids' books. How did you get started in doing all of this? And You know what do you love about it? Like, what is what is most exciting to you about what you do?
0: Well, I thought I was going to be a writer as a child and as a as a teenager, and then my writing became so angst ridden. I thought (laughs) I better do something else, but I knew I wanted to tell my story, and I thought I'm going to do drawings. And so I started with that level of I'm just going to draw and tell a narrative relating to literature, and I did that for about. Ten or fifteen years, and then had children, and I thought, okay, this mayhem is very inspiring, of having children running around the house, and it allowed me to go back to what I wanted to do, which is to write and to and then to incorporate painting, so I can use both sides of my brain, and it's an it's it's so liberating to write for children that I'm in heaven, and don't think I'll ever stop. <laughs>
2: We also by the way loved your book Cake as Giant Cake Fans. So actually my husband gave that to my son and that's like his special little book. Anyway, yeah, we're just like big fans. Sorry. Now I'm just that's repeating good. myself.
0: It's lovely to hear. Thank you. Couldn't couldn't say it enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you basically telling stories through pictures is still another I mean that is that is a form of writing, right? It is a form of telling the story and getting the message out, as you said. What do? You, where does that compulsion come from? The, the desire to, you know, tell a story, entertain someone else, get it on paper. Like, tell me about that. Well, if I had
0: to be psychological about it, I would say that it's the desire to be realized as a human being, not be invisible. I think that at an early age, whatever the forces were at work in my my DNA and my family, I wanted to be present with, through expressing myself that way. There was no question for me that that was my life. It wasn't searching and wondering. It was, I know I'm going to do this, I just don't know how it's actually going to be realized. And that incorporating humor and writing and painting, I thought, this is a very, very good job to think about. And it hasn't left, you know, it sustains you in a way that's very real. Of course, to find your work is the most nourishing thing you could possibly do, you know, besides having a family that you love. But the work is sometimes more consistent than the family. <laughs> but you know what I mean. That you, you know, you're really, you're in your, your brain is producing something. So who knows? The answer is who knows why.
2: <laughs> what was your family like growing up? Where did you grow up? I was born in Tel Aviv
0: and we moved here when I was four and there was a very large family, and the w- the women, as I've written in the book about my mother, Sarah Berman's Closet, the women really were the center of the story in many, many ways. The men were okay, but they were peripheral. And I say the, the, the men were fine, but the women were wondrous. And they told stories and communicated with each other and baked cakes and did the laundry and took care of everybody, basically. So that's the legacy that I come from. A lot of ironing and starching, which, you know, starching and ironing, which I still do. And that sense that the daily life of a human being, it can be the most interesting and the most important thing. You don't have to go anywhere else, that you just, this life that you're living is incorporated into your work. And I never wanted to see a distinction between work and life. It's all mixed into the batter as, you know, as, to send the metaphor. And I grew up in, in the Bronx and then in New York City, which I always say is come to New York. If you want to come to New York, come in, in the 1950s. And I have to have to look at my, I don't have to, I do look at my life and say, what What a great thing. So I'm, I've been really
2: lucky. That's amazing. Well, as you can tell by the sirens, I am also in New York right now, but maybe you couldn't I tell. I don't, I, don't hear, I don't hear them though. I hear my own sirens every five minutes. Oh Oh my goodness. Um, So when you start a project like Darling Baby, like what do you start with? Do you start with one illustration and go from there? Do you start with the idea? When do you start the actual artistry behind it versus the words? Like what's your process like when you're creating?
0: Every book is different, but every book is basically the same and it's born out of something that I love. And it's something that I'm talking about in my life. I'm not trying to sort of artificially find an idea. It kind of bubbles up from daily conversation. Darling Baby grew out of being with my granddaughter at the beach when she was five months old. And I kept a diary of what happened to us, what happened to me, what happened to us. And it was with drawings and writing and it was all there. The, this book is very, very close to the diary that I had and that I kept and just a little bit more elaborate and more painting. So it was a love letter to her, of course, to my granddaughter, Olive. And it was
2: a love letter to just being alive. Oh, well, that's beautiful. It's so amazing. So do you do you paint there where you are now, like in your home, do you go somewhere to paint? Like wh- where, how do you get that done?
0: So the, the book evolves and I'm doing, uh, you know, all the children's books, there are drafts of writing and sketching. I have a studio, a separate studio that I go to because when the kids were little, it became clear that if I didn't have a separate studio, things would end bad. <laughs> so to go to a you know, a room of one's own, as we always say. And that's where I work. I wake up very early. I hate working at night. So I finish working by about six o'clock. And that sense of, oh, okay, a lot of work has been done. A lot of work can be done from the morning till the evening. And and that's it. It's a very quiet, I lead a very quiet existence. And certainly with COVID, I used to travel a lot more. Of course, these years, none. But it's also been interesting to me that travel walking, taking a walk around the block is... is exhilarating on some, you could say that sounds idiotic, as exhilarating as going to Paris. Okay, I won't make that (laughs) comparison. That would really be, (laughs) but on one level, it's kind of true, you know, because you just don't know what you're gonna see. And it's all this fantastic serendipity and surprise. So I'm a big fan of very little. I mean, (laughs) I'm a a big fan of little things.
2: That's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes the littlest moments are the things that inspired the biggest stuff, right? Yeah. It's like one second or one funny thing your child says that's enough to like write a whole essay about, or, you know, it's just a little, it's that glimmer of like the shimmer around it that makes you want to, you know, snatch it and smack it down on paper.
0: Very true.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
2: dot com slash moms don't have time. And so what projects are you working on now? What's coming next for you?
0: Well, now I'm working on a few books for adults. One is a, I did a little pamphlet with my son that we self-published to raise money for good causes. And that little pamphlet was called Women Holding Things, a little booklet, which is now becoming a book for adults. And that'll be published with Harper's Assuming the uh, supply chain issues are resolved, hopefully within the next, uh, within, you know, in a year. And that's about women holding things both literally and metaphorically from a cabbage or a violin or balloons to holding a grudge or holding, you know, holding onto your dreams or holding your family together. So uh, it allows me to go back and forth between the very mundane, oh, look at that incredible woman walking through the park carrying balloons, holding balloons, to thinking about my grandmother not being allowed to marry the man that she really loved and what she held through her whole life. So a kind of a memoir, I don't know. And then a few other projects that I'm working on, some embroidery, some product development things.
2: Why couldn't your grandmother marry the man she loved? She was an orphan and the family that
0: the, the man she fell in love with was considered a pr- the prince of the family. This is in Belarus. So she married, she was allowed to marry his brother. They said, you know what? Can't get this one, but here's the consolation prize, that one. And that one was my grandfather. Oh, my gosh. Who was a wonderful man, but who somehow... Maybe her heart was broken at that time. I don't know. We never, of course, those are things that we do. certainly they wouldn't have discussed with children. This is kind of the stories that filter through the family from this aunt and that cousin. And so she always looked beleaguered and terribly sad, which, you know, I sometimes do too, as does everybody. And so that's part of the story of what happened to my grandmother a little, a little bit.
2: That must have been crazy. Like every family event. And then there's the man she really wanted to marry right there. And the man she really wanted to marry
0: was a cunning businessman who employed his brother. Oh my gosh. And And I won't, he'll know more about my family than anybody does, but the brother, this became a huge success and the man she married just wanted to pray and eat potatoes and, and be left alone. Very, very simple, huh the man she married was a wonderful man, and the man she didn't marry was not a wonderful man, but who' go tell somebody what they should or shouldn't love.
2: Wow that is mm. so interesting well there's a novel for you right there in your spare time I mean, well <laughs> there
0: is so much to, there are so many stories to tell, so I condense this into one page within the book. I talk about my mother and how she wasn't happy with her husband, who was my father, so the thing about women holding things is the sense of, you know, what do you hold all your life? What responsibilities and obligations and sorrows, as we all do. And, and you know, so women are very exhausted all the time because of all the things that you have to hold. But anyway, that's the book.
2: Wait, so now I'm curious, when you got married, what kind of man did you find? I married a stupendously
0: amazing, fabulous man who we met when we were in summer flunk out class at NYU when we were 19. And we fell in love immediately and were together for thir- I mean, we you know, this is the 60s, so there was a little bit of breaking up and experimenting, but we ended up being together for 30 years and he died at the age of 49. It was an insane fate. But we had the most fantastic relationship of, of great friendship, and probably what I learned maybe subconsciously who knows is that i wanted to be with somebody who was my real, my deep and true friend and so somehow luck guided me luck guided me to flunk out of ny or almost flunk out of nyu <laughs> so look we always say out of bad comes good you know there i was in this terrible and actually all the people in that class were so interesting and such crazy out of the loop of everything that I thought this is a fantastic group of people. At any rate, I met and his name was Tibor. He was Hungarian. He also had come to America when he was seven d- during the revolution. And so it was a very good it was a very good marriage.
2: Oh well I'm really sorry to hear he passed away but how wonderful that you got that time and
0: a lot of time together.
2: Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. And we
0: worked together so it was it was deeply Nourishing, as we say.
2: Wow. Well, you've had the most interesting life. I mean, I feel like it's just scratching the surface. I feel like
0: <laughs> ah, that's it. There's not there's nothing else. <laughs> I make a good plum cake. <laughs> that's about it. Crumb cake or plum cake? Plum. The one that's in the cake book is the you know, New York Times plum tort. Yep. Which is the most popular and most requested New York time's recipe I'm told, or I've read. And so I've been making that a mile a minute during this plum season, which wow. which is now
2: ending. My family, of course I knew that from the book and I forgot, but my family, my husband's family, his grandmother made a crumb cake that they started a whole business around called Nini's Treats. And so my sister-in-law now still like runs the company and like found a factory to reproduce her famous crumb cake. And it's really yummy. So. And do they sell them in the city? Yeah. You can order them on Gold Belly. So they ship everywhere nationwide, but they're I, really yummy. Nini's treats. Nini, Nini's treats. Okay. I'll send you one. I'll, I'll get your address. I'll send you a Nini's treat. I love that idea. Yeah, I will do it. <laughs> they're delicious. Amazing. Okay. Last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors slash illustrators slash grandparents, anything you want? <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: do it. Don't do no. My only advice is do what you love. If you You can't There's nothing else to say and either it will work out or it won't work out. Uh, You know, there's, I think that the, the perseverance of what you need to do, what you really need to do is the issue. So do what you need to do. That's all, that's all there is. Love it.
2: Amazing. Well, Myra, it was so nice getting to know you. Thank you for your time and for all of the illustrations, which, and books that have, you know, pervaded my household for a very long time. So thank you for, for all of it. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. You too. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.